Every year on Christmas night, about 30 family members from the Lippert side of my family, they gather over at my grandma's house for dinner in Cincinnati. Every year before that dinner gets started, grandma has family members pick up one of the 12, 12 days of Christmas glasses. The glass you get is the glass you sing. Some like my cousins Patrick and John, they love this tradition. They're looking for the two turtle doves and the three French hens because they get to sing more. Some, like my Uncle Jim, has a great deep baritone voice to bring home that five gold rings. Others actively seek nine through 12. Like, if I'm going to do this, fine, but fewer times, please. What you have... By the time everyone, all 12 that of that year's chosen, have their glass in hand is this interesting mishmash of commitment levels, ages, grandma down to the, the great-grandchildren, geographies, people from, from California, Florida, Texas, right down the street in Ohio, economics, blue and white collar, politics, Active, like sign in your front yard supporter types on different sides. Faith expressions, deeply Catholic, deeply non-denominational, deeply leave me outside of all of the hypocrisy that is church. I'll listen if there's one that's not a mess. Deeply searching, a couple Presbyterians. All these types have a glass in hand, ready to sing. You know who has the hardest time participating in this annual tradition of singing the 12 days of Christmas? Anyone in our family who has formal training in music. <laughs> because they can hear so very well how poorly the song is unfolding. And how it should unfold. And like how you do carry a tune and how you do stay in key. And I'm not picking on musicians, right? Because we all have our area, right? We, we, we know how this works. We know where this goes. We have been in the church for a long time doing things quite effectively, actually. In this area, people should listen to us because we know what we're talking about. We, we are right. It's to people who are right that Paul is writing this portion of his letter to the church at Rome. Little context on the picture of the church at Rome uh, at this time. In part of this church, you have the Jewish Christians, those who believe in Jesus, right? But they also, they follow the Torah, the law of God, as, as foundationally named in the first five books of the Bible, right? So they take a lot of things seriously that, that none of a lot of Rome takes seriously at all. And most centrally at issue for these Jewish Christians is that do not eat meat that's been sacrificed to pagan idols. No idol meat. In fact, that is one of the most fundamental ways they show forth their faithfulness to God is keeping the law. The law is how we keep and show our faithfulness. Okay. The same church you have Gentile Christians. Those from among Rome's very cosmopolitan population who have converted to Christianity, right? They believe in Jesus, but they do not follow the Torah. In fact, they're free in Christ Jesus. They know the promise. 
Absolutely, they're going to eat meat sacrificed to idol or not sacrificed because guess what? The idol's not real anyway. In fact, this group shows forth their faithfulness all the more fully by eating the meat. Freedom is how we show forth our faithfulness. Law is how we show forth our faithfulness. No surprise, these groups are having trouble with one another. The Jewish Christians over here, they sit in judgment of the Gentile ones, as Paul writes in, in Romans 14, the chapter right before our reading. It's a Greek word that has the sense of playing the part of God, of, of rendering what God thinks of such a people. The Jewish Christians, of course, they have Scripture on their side, and they're following it. And so, yeah, they do sit in the seat of, of God against those free-willing, loose morals, anything-goes Christian Gentiles. They're right. The Gentile Christians, Paul writes also in Romans 14, the chapter right before our reading, uh, quote, disdain the Jewish followers. It's a word in Greek that's meant, uh, that means you perceive someone as beneath you, below your consideration. The Gentile Christians, which poll likely from among some of the more elite parts of Rome society at the time, this group is, is looking down, right, on the Jewish Christians. Uh, they see the Jewish Christians as, as backwards, uh, antiquated, people who just don't get it. And, and they follow these rigid food laws, which quite frankly, if they were to follow, they would be socially suspect. They need to receive the meat offered to them in polite society. They can't be doing this no meat thing. Judgment from one direction, disdain from the other direction. The group's so different, but in one critical way, they are absolutely the same. Both groups are fully convinced they're right. This is how you sing the music. This is the key. This is the tune. Get in tune. And whether from a place of righteous judgment or condescending disdain, increasingly each other's lives exclude the other. Literally, they have a very hard time getting to the same table because guess what can be placed in the middle of that table? Meat. And it becomes real obvious real fast where you land and if you can be faithful and how faithfulness looks. It may be a relief to us that church no longer feels such strong animosity about idle meat or meat on the table, but I think we readily recognize if it's not meat, it's the sale of indulgences. And if it's not the sale of indulgences, it's slavery. If it's not slavery, it's evolution. It's not evolution, it's Abortion, masks, elections. And it's hard. Because these things, they are not trivial. They're, in fact, quite important. What, Paul, what is the word for a church full of people who are definitely right on some of the, the truly critical issues of our time? Critical expressions of what faith looks like. How is the song actually sung? Paul, what's, what's the word you say unto all that you unfolded in chapter 14? Chapter 15, our reading for today, it begins with this verse. We, 
who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. By which Paul means any among us, he excludes himself, who think of ourselves as right, who know how to sing the song, who know the faith, who know what a mature Christian looks like, any who are right need to bear with the failings of the weak, those who are not right, and not please ourselves. He's probably nodding a little bit towards the Jewish Christians, it seems, in our passage, uh, given all the times he, you heard he quotes Scripture where he says, your own Scriptures say, the Gentiles are included. The Gentiles are included. The Gentiles are included. E- even so, wh- what does it mean with, for the strong to bear with the failings of the, uh, of the weak? Well, just a bit below his exhortation about the, the strong, he writes a prayer for the community in which you kind of hear his vision. And this is what our reading had, right? May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The images of a people, Jew and Gentile, law and free, meat and no meat, people who literally cannot find a way most days to get to the same table, somehow singing as one voice under their following of Jesus as the North Star. That's nice, Paul. Kumbaya around the campfire. There are far too many years of them being wrong. Too many years of them treating us with disdain, judgment. Too many layers of hurt, too much history. And again, they're wrong about some important things. You know what? Maybe, Paul, maybe if their side shows that they're sorry. Maybe if their side stops believing so strongly about this meat thing. Maybe if their side makes a goodwill effort to to admit and learn about all the ways that they are wrong, then we'll inch up to the table and sing too. They go first. His next line. Welcome one another. All of you invite one another to the table. In fact, if anyone's going to make a first move, it's the strongest, it's the rightest. How do we do that, Paul, as names and faces and so forth come to our heart? Welcome one another just as Christ welcomed you. How has Christ welcomed us to this table? The book of Philippians says Christ Jesus, who, who, who is the strongest of strong, the rightest of right, the purest of pure, with every reason to hold on to being strong, right, and pure, let go or emptied himself of that prerogative that he might be a servant and welcome us by coming among us as we are. This, I think, is encapsulated maybe most profoundly in a super short verse found a bit earlier in the letter to the Romans. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we started to clean up our lives, not once we admitted we might be wrong, not once we stopped believing we are better than them, 
While we were yet sinners, while we were yet judging, yet pointing, yet certain of our way, Christ loved us to the point of death to reconcile us to God and one another at table. For the Savior of the world, love is the most right thing. That's honestly the good news that got any one of us to this table. To be sure, that does not make things in our day and age easier, and in fact, I think it makes it a lot more complex given the issues and the people and the evils of of our time. But no matter how we contextualize this to our situation, Paul is clear. Fundamental to to, to love's way is somehow welcoming one another regardless of whether they deserve it. Joining in the song of faith alongside a bunch of people who are off-key, off-tune, keeping the melody all wrong, And somehow it's the strong called to take the lead. Who do we need? Who is God placing on our heart to welcome to the table this season as we have been welcomed? Where might we be called to let go of being right in order to show forth love as the most right? How does that inform our discernment? Where might we risk singing alongside surprising someones or someone, knowing that this action, this conversation, may very well be awkwardly off-key for some time? Welcome one another as I have welcomed you. This posture is not easy or natural. That's why I think our passage ends with Paul praying over the church. You heard the last verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, may the Holy Spirit do in us what honestly we could never figure out or do on our own. It's just too hard. May Jesus fill us with a spirit of peace and joy and hope so that our voices might start to find a surprising, really quite miraculous harmony among the unlikeliest of family members. Which, if if it were to happen, if, if that were to break through the melody here, there, would sound a lot like the voice of Jesus himself who brought together a reconciling harmony among the unlikeliest of people, leading leading with love as the most right thing. Amen.